Are we live now? Yes, I think so. All right. Hello, viewers. Welcome to Jaipur Dialogue USA, our weekly 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time show. And today we are going to talk about a very interesting topic, from my point of view at least, is that why is it that Hindus are under attack globally? Did it happen before we didn't know about it? Or is it because we know about it now? Let's dive into this straight away. And I have great pleasure in welcoming one of our very good supporters and good mind, Ruchit Sharma. Ruchit Sharma, welcome back to the show. And of course, the indomitable, indefatigable Sanjay Dikshit ji. Sanjay ji, both of you are welcome to the show. To Dialogue USA. Thank you very much. <laughs> So I want to kick off by saying that, you know, in in the United States, particularly, there is a Father's Day, there is a Mother's Day and everything else going on. We are celebrating Durga Puja right now. Many states have declared uh, Hindu Heritage Month, not a day, Mm -hmm. for Hindus in America. At the same time, there are people who are attacking us. And as I mentioned in the previous few words, that whether it is we get to know of it or it was happening earlier on and we didn't know about it because technology was not available. Because thanks to technology, I'm in New York. Ruchir is in Geneva. Sanjayji is in Delhi. We are talking live at this point in time, sharing information, sharing knowledge. So the question here is, I will shoot off with you, Ruchir. Why is it? Why is it? that people are paying so much attention to Hindus that they are shooting arrows on every single reason here or there, as if we are the creators of all the global problems. So think about it. There is a girl called Huma Dar at UC Berkeley. She is doing a presentation on uh, linking Brahmanism to colonialism and the plight of Kashmir because of Brahminical problems. In addition to the fact that there was a... Congressman from Maryland, Representative David David Trone, who chastised his own representative in Delhi, con, you know, telling him, why did you meet RSS? And I tweeted on this, let's kind of figure out. Everybody has freedom of speech. So speaking with RSS is not like United States speaking with Taliban. If you can speak with Taliban, why can't your rep talk to RSS? And let's do an historical analysis of this particular fact that who has killed more people? The glorious jihad, the royal uh, inquisitions and crusades, and you know all, all those things, and RSS. Who has killed people? Let's kind of a, do a data analysis. Your thoughts on this? So when it comes down to it, uh, a lot of these public statements and public campaigns are a form of power play. And it's as uh, Thucydides said, uh, the strong do what they can, the weak suffer what they must. And this is uh, uh, a result uh, of being a soft target that uh, one can attack uh, certain groups without any uh, serious uh, fear of uh, retaliation or pushback. And this has been the case for a long time, uh, for, for centuries, in fact. And if we look at the historical context of it, uh, why was it that uh, when uh, foreign invasive forces came 
to the Indian subcontinent, be they Turkic invaders, be they uh, Persianate uh, empires, be they Portuguese, English, Danish, French, Dutch uh, uh, colonizers, they felt the need to degrade and demoralize the natives. It was because it served their interests. It serves their interests to have a uh, submissive, uh, passive audience, which can act, you know, as not as a, a populace with agency, not with dignity, not with pride in itself, but rather just uh, act as a source of uh, cheap labor and a market for finished goods. That's uh, the essence of mercantilist uh, colonialism. And then from a cultural imperialist point of view, they came motivated by a sense of racial and religious superiority. And part of the motivation behind the historical subjugation of, uh, of India and its Hindu, uh, Hindu populace has been to assert cultural religious dominance over who they saw as inferior people. Now, with that, you know, not only do they see the people as inferior, they see their beliefs as inferior, they see their knowledge systems as inferior, they see their culture and, uh, and traditions as inferior. So all of these become uh, open targets for that uh, strategy of degradation and demoralization. And what the, the third element of this sort of campaign is uh, one that has been traced specifically to the US in the last 200 years. So beyond the powers that actually came and invaded or colonized uh, the Indian subcontinent, there's the United States in the New World, which in the 1800s experienced a lot of debates internally uh, about uh, fractures and fissions within its own society, especially regarding the conflict between Protestants, who were the founders of the, the Republic, who were the founders of much of the American morality and uh, political philosophy, and what they saw as minorities who could not be assimilated into the uh, country. So Catholics, Roman Catholics, Orthodox Christians, and, uh, and Jews. In many parts of the US, uh, these groups were not considered fully white. They were not considered suited for democracy. They were seen as semi-civilized. And when Catholics began to ask uh, for the right to uh, manage their own educational institutions in the US, uh, around the same time, there was a lot of atrocity literature being written about, uh, about India and about these idolatrous practices of the savage barbaric Hindus. And because in the public imagination, Catholics or Orthodox Christians had already been established as semi-idolatrous, that they had iconography of uh, you know, Jesus and the Mother Mary in their places of worship, or they were seen as having a dual loyalty, that they would be more loyal to the Pope than to the President or to the uh, United States. They used India as a blank canvas on which they projected their fears. And they said that, oh, you know, if you give these Catholics even an inch, if you let them manage their own uh, educational institutions, let them run their schools, then we'll be halfway to becoming like India, where women throw their children under the Jagannath Puri Yatra, so under the chariot uh, uh, for the glory of their barbarous god. And uh, there were many newspaper articles around this frenzy in the American media. There were many 
uh, cartoons uh, written about them. For example, they called it the American Ganges. There's a famous uh, cartoon published in national newspapers, which had uh, on one side of the river, there's a river flowing, it's called the American Ganges. On one side of it is uh, the Vatican, and uh, you have uh, the Basilica there, and uh, it's the old world. And on the other side is a brave Protestant teacher who's holding these children and protecting them from the crocodiles inside the water. And those crocodiles are these idolatrous, semi-civilized practices, which they really very elegantly used uh, the atrocity literature being written about India by missionaries or by colonialists to poison the minds of their own people, to justify their own bigotry, that they hated Catholics, they hated Jews, they hated Orthodox Christians, and this way they could get away with it by saying that, oh, you know, we've, we've seen for ourselves what this leads to. It's in their own benefit that we prevent them from becoming this degraded civilization like Indians, like Hindus. No, thank you very much. The very good uh, opening that you made here, uh, Sanjay Ji. You, 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 and you have been trying to set the narratives. We have often talked about that if we don't fix our narrative, uh, things will not change. As Ruchir just now mentioned, that they would describe the American Ganges and our festivities in a very pejorative way. So we are in the Durga. We are celebrating Durga Durga week, Durga Mata ki week, and it will be followed by Diwali. And you know, this is a powerful statement that we are observing Hindu Heritage Month. How do we create this entire thing that you know we are not seculars? The whole world's problem is as if we are responsible for everything that is happening around the world, and they all point fingers at us. We are the minority abusers. We are the minority chasers. We hate Muslims. They will talk to Taliban and China and Pakistan, but India can't, You know, as if India is to be blamed for everything. We are working on that narrative. You have done an outstanding job with Jaipur Dialogue, and we are now in extension in Jaipur Dialogue USA. What is the next step that we need to take? In this Hindu Heritage Month, how do we take that Durga Mata ki awaz or ye American ko bata ki Durga Mata ki creation jo hai is also to kill some evil? Let's go for that. Well, I think we've got to be very, very intolerant. <laughs> and lest you misunderstand me. We have to be very, very intolerant of intolerance. And uh, I am simply drawing from the Karl Popper paradox, which I think all of us know. What is the Karl Popper paradox? What does it say? And I actually, after delineating what is Karl Popper paradox, which I guess is a very, very eminent listeners of uh, Jaipur Dialogues would mostly know, but uh, uh, very succinctly put, it says that unlimited tolerance must certainly lead to the end of tolerance. To explain it, that if you are tolerant of intolerance, if you tolerate intolerance, then the intolerance will actually overwhelm you in the end. 
and once you are overwhelmed then the tolerance has gone out of the window only intolerance remains it's just like giving space to a virus tolerating a virus can you tolerate a virus if you tolerate a virus and don't take any measures or your body defense mechanism doesn't take any measures to uh, tackle that virus the virus is going to overwhelm your body and finish you off and after that what happens we don't know i mean uh, we would say that maybe uh, we, we can take uh, another birth but some others will say maybe we will not whatever but the point is that uh, i think that uh, we have actually forgotten the krishna niti and the chanakya niti and uh, we have uh, misinterpreted some of our more wholesome prescriptions in a way that uh, has actually made us defenseless and uh, i have done a episode on the, the three of these and the three of these are number one is vasudhaiva kutumbakam which is uh, almost always misinterpreted and uh, why it is misinterpreted is because vasudhaiva kutumbakam is actually mentioned in a context that is very different from the material concept we know that uh, in the indian system we have what is called adhyatmik we have the adibhautik and we have the adhidaivik now what we do in our day to day affairs is what is adibhautik or the material world now the what we call vasudhaiva uh, kutumbakam actually comes from mahopanishad is an adhyatmik concept it is to be used Uh, at the highest level of consciousness at the level of chet at the level of uh, oneness of all beings which uh, in the material world in the differentiated material world the manifested material world is not found so when you use that context that uh, adhyatmik concept in the adibhautik setting you make a fool of yourself and in fact uh, there is a story in utopadesh that uh, says exactly that there is a utopadesh story i don't know whether uh, of course i have narrated it to vibhuti ji a couple of times so he would recall that i don't know whether richard has heard of that or not because that's a very simple story with uh, there is a jackal and there is a deer and the call happens to visit the deer and the deer is fooled by his recitation of sanskrit where he actually recites this very shlok vasudeva kutumbakam and then he says that okay this is sanskrit chanting the call must be very good let let me take him to my place and the call of course only wanted to eat him up and because he thought that the deer was too swift and so he needed to deceive him uh, there he had a friend a crow the crow immediately warned him he would not heed the warning he said no 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 this jackal is damn good he recites sanskrit shlokas so he's got to be good uh, then ultimately he got trapped 
that he was rescued by the his friend the crow so the moral of the story is that uh, do not use something said in one context in a different context that is vasudhaiva kutumbakam and the second one of course is ahinsa paramo dharma that ahinsa paramo dharma is meant to be that uh, problem in this is the definition of ahinsa uh the d- definition of ahinsa again that ahinsa is again an adhyatmic concept and uh, you use ahinsa gandhi ji i'm sorry to say gandhi ji was not really an adhyatmic person he was uh, very much what is called a man of the world and uh, i'm not even sure that he was trying to seek the adhyatma is probably trying to act adhyatmic i am not very charitable towards mahatma gandhi let me put that disclosure and therefore he made a mince meat of that concept and he made into again a material kind of non violence uh, which meant that you don't kill anybody whereas the ahinsa as a, a, a as an adhyatmic concept only means that you are doing something that you are not attached to that's why yasnahankrito bhavo buddhir yasna lipyate atva sa iman lokan nahantina nibaddyate this is bhagavad gita 18.17 where he says that uh, if you are in a, you have taken yourself into a state where you are not attached to your actions then it does not matter whether you are killing somebody for the sake of dharma that you are doing it as a duty and uh, of course the whole bhagavad gita is actually exhorting arjuna to do his duty so that is the second one and uh, the third one of course is ekam sadvipra bhavadavadanti now again here again the problem is the definition of dharma so the definition of dharma is the problem so when you start treating adharma as dharma and you say that the adharma also leads to the same result as dharma then it becomes problematic so uh, i think uh, that's the reason that we have been tolerating this intolerant behavior towards us we have been giving ourselves some kind of even actually uh, indulging in self flagellation and uh, uh, getting into a process of self floating when others uh, tell us this because we always look at this okay sarva dharma samabhav and things of those kinds and because we have been looking at our own wisdom through the western lenses so these kind of distortions have come in and these distortions confused us then of course the kind of atrocity literature and things that go on everywhere and you do not have the anchor of wisdom that your tradition is given given you then you fall into these errors that's my opening statement thank you very much a powerful opening statement for the simple reason that you have definitely identified that we ourselves are to be blamed for not rejecting intolerance and 
subjecting ourselves to living with intolerant behavior you know like people are asking and this is this is what brings me to the thought process that you know when we recognize this problem that we have been responsible for treating ourselves as we treat then people have a desire will definitely attempt to subject you those to those humiliations and that has led to indians seeking validation from others for everything that we do we have a tendency duniya kya kahegi log kya kahenge ye hamare you know every day we think about log kya kahenge duniya kya kahegi does china care for tiananmen square it did whatever it did did president z think about anybody else when he declared himself president for life right imagine if modi does that here or if a us president were to do that or any democratic nation were to do that that would be a mayhem around the world democratic traditions or modi has become z but they will modi will become dictator they will not say modi is doing what z is doing but everybody wants india to be like china without being like china these are all distortions in the way we look at things and that brings me to the very important point which sanjay ji was talking about where do we fix it it begins from us and we got to begin to fix it so our whatever happens in india people will beat a drum and then we will say we are investigating we will report tell them to go to hell i'm saying we have to begin to be politely resistant to people who have no business to ask me question about myself without fixing your own door and your own house so richard where do you think it begins from where which are the things that we need to insist upon that leave us as we are and we will do what we are doing you fix yourself and to that end i am very fond of this word reciprocity when are we going to demand reciprocity for i believe no muslim country or nobody has a right to ask us about our affairs until they fix their own well uh, to build on both your question and what uh, sanjay ji mentioned uh, there's a, an excellent book that i recommend all viewers to to read it's called uh, after defeat how the east learned to live with the west it's written by a turkish scholar uh, aisha zavakol and she talks about how when historical civilizations experience defeat at the hands uh, particularly of uh, of the west or of a, a civilization that is diametrically opposed to their values there is a process of uh, shame that is internalized by the elites of that country wherein they actually start to believe the criticisms of the uh, victors so the victors will say that uh, you lost you know you are an inferior country an inferior race you have an inferior, you deserve an inferior position in the world because you are not western enough because you are not modern enough because you are not christian enough uh because you are not secular enough uh and it's our foolishness or our weakness that the elites of society the policy makers actually internalize it they believe it they start to believe it and it starts to shape their policies and a lot of policy making in countries that experience this sort of trauma that can be japan it can be turkey it can be russia it can be india is motivated by this loss of face and this inferiority complex that now we have to prove to them that we're not uh, inferior and that we can be as modern as them as western as them as secular as them without realizing that this is just a rhetorical game it's just a trap to 
to fool us into inaction. Uh, that it's designed to keep us busy trying to solve issues that uh, don't exist. Uh, instead of consolidating and giving people the dignity and sovereignty that was taken away from them so cruelly. So now, I'm very happy that, uh, Vibhutiji, you mentioned reciprocity. Reciprocity is a fundamental principle of international relations and of foreign affairs. And self-respecting countries don't allow themselves to be pushed around. They have a clear understanding of why their nation exists, what its place is and should be. They have a common identity, a common by, uh, binding in a unifying ideology of national liberation and identity. They have a social contract. So the state exists for a reason. The state exists in order to give certain uh, advantages or certain opportunities to the citizens. And in return, the citizens are loyal to it. Uh, now, none of these have been pursued properly uh, or wholeheartedly by the post-independence Indian state. We just seemed grateful that oh, the master has granted us independence. And now we have to keep everything the way it was in 1947 or in 1950 when the constitution came into uh, a place. Or for some people in 1977 when the emergency gave us uh, a brand new constitution in the same old garb. Uh, and we're unable to, uh, to change that. Uh, as a result, the Indian state has now found itself in a world that has changed in material circumstances, in economic circumstances, in the power dynamics between countries. But we still have the tools of a freshly independent state that exists to beg for further validation that, oh, we were so well behaved, so you gave us independence. If we keep behaving well, one day you'll throw us a seat on the uh, UN Security Council as well. So let's accumulate all these good boy points. And at one point, the master will pat us on the head and said, you're very good, loyal service. Here's a biscuit. Now, that mentality has to change, that we have to learn from, from other countries that similarly, they experienced humiliation, they experienced colonization, they experienced uh, traumatic in, invasions and destructions, attempted destructions of their culture. And they used this to forge unity. But if you look at Vietnam, for example, that uh, what kind of... Uh, what kind of history are they taught in Vietnam? They don't learn about the names of the Chinese kings or the French presidents that, uh, that attempted to colonize them and make them part of their imperial ventures. The history of Vietnam, as taught in Vietnamese schools and universities, is the history of resistance. They always talk about the indigenous resistance, the uh, rebels who fought against Chinese uh, imperialism for 900 years, who fought against French imperialism for 100 years, who fought against American imperialism for 30 years. And as a result, they have a clear idea of you know, what they have suffered in order to reach where they are and what their vision is for the future. Similarly, you know, China is very clear on what it wants to do, where it wants to be 100 years from now. They want to uh, avenge what was what they see as the century of humiliation when the West opened them up forcibly, uh, forced opium down their throats, destroyed their society, politics, economy, and they want to restore their place as the Middle Kingdom, as the center of the world, the center of civilization, center of economic activity, of industrial activity, 
and uh, even moral and spiritual knowledge production and generation. Now, this is what we need to learn from. And most countries in Asia have adopted some form of clear national unifying ideology uh, and defend that with great gusto. They, you know, and India is a signatory to this as well. In 1993, uh, various Asian countries came together in Bangkok and they signed the Bangkok De Declaration on Human Rights, which said that uh, human rights uh, has been, uh, as a concept, is being misused by the West to interfere in the domestic affairs of post-colonial countries. And these countries are sovereign states that have the right to define what rights uh, mean within their context, and that is their internal matter, which they collectively defend. Uh, Singapore does this, uh, Malaysia does this, uh, Indonesia does it, China does it, everyone does it except India because we don't think strategically. And we don't think strategically because we're not programmed. The state uh, institutions, the state tools of governance that we have are not designed to be uh, to be productive soil for this sort of strategic thinking or national regeneration or rebirth. Uh, they're designed to be an axe. You know, an axe can only be used to cut down a forest, not to plant a new forest and uh, not to uh, not to build a fence around your forest either. <laughs> yes, purpose and the instrument to use. You know, Sanjayji, you have been in bureaucracy for a very long time and you have amazing uh, knowledge of our own texts. So while we had Susruta, but modern doctors need FRCS from UK. We had wealth of nations, but we want to study Adam Smith's wealth. We had a Cotillia Arthashat, but we have to study Adam Smith's wealth of nations. My thought process is something like this, that, you know, where do we begin the fix? I mean, think about it like this point of view, that even freeing the temples, we have to fight a case. We have to file a case. Mandir pe mosque bana hua hai, wo dikta hai sabko. Lekin phir bhi hume wo case jeetna hai. Right? Whereas these temples were destroyed and mosques were built over it. When can we have a self-respect? Is there something in the legislation that prevents successive governments to not free the temples? Is it a bureaucratic issue? Is it a legal issue? Or is it just an issue of political strength and will well i would uh, agree with richard it's a mental colonization issue and uh, uh, just as he said he put it beautifully that okay that uh, uh, you were behaved well so you were uh, given that uh, little prize of what is called independence and if you continue behaving well, you will keep getting biscuits. So uh, when the uh, when the aspiration doesn't go beyond biscuits, then uh, uh, the whole mental conditioning becomes like that. So I think that is the crux of the matter. That is why it is happening. If you look at uh, even our constitution, and I have talked about it uh, earlier also. I, in fact, I begin very much. I think we talked, I think, Richard, if you remember, I think I talked about it. 
that uh, the indian system in the indian system the rights are given to you everybody enjoys rights but the rights are not given just for the sake of the rights the rights are given to you to fulfill your duties that is what the dharma is that in order to perform your dharma which can be of various hues various colors various shades for that you need those functional rights not just a rights for the sake of itself and the west has always defined two kind of rights it's always been a binary so you have on one side you have the individual rights and on the other side you have the divine rights and you go in the divine rights space then you have a very very curious situation for instance with islam and as you said reciprocity that we have never insisted upon because i think one of the more beautiful quotes which i have repeated quite often it is attributed to yogi adityanath but we don't know whether it is uh, actually his or somebody else's but uh, i have kind of internalized it and i keep talking about it uh, again and again okay that ah uh, uh, i for instance with respect to islam let's say the same thing can be said with respect to christianity with respect to the west with respect to uh, socialism marxism Uh, all kind of these nonsensical theories that are going around can be said in the same measure but let's say this uh, as uh, if we have to talk to islam then you say that okay i will fully respect your prophet but only as much as you respect shri ram and uh, i will respect your religion but only as much as you respect my religion and yes i would definitely respect allah only as much as you respect ishwar but uh, we have seen in this country that uh, this ishwar allah tere naam was sung in uh, thousands of temples but i have been trying to locate trying to ask for instances trying to ask for any little clip or any little photograph to show me whether ishwar allah tere naam was sung even once in a mosque nobody has reassured me that it was sung even once there isn't a single instance there isn't a single instance that's so that's what i say that you first tolerate intolerance like this and then you complain so i think it's a futile exercise you have to assert yourself you have to get out that mental colonization and uh, as uh, ruchir again rightly said about uh, teaching history or teaching your culture or uh, unless you teach your own history the history of resistance the history of resistance of india by indians is magnificent but you can uh, uh, teach a few books on the resistance mounted by maharana pratap uh, or uh, um, shivaji raje those would inspire generations but you dismiss them in 
one para each. And what do you teach? You teach the history of the Mughals, you know, one depraved Mughal after another. Useless kind of uh, rulers who brought India down in the comity of nation, brought the GDP down. And even that GDP, which they tom tom about, and which a lot of our people, especially the uh, illegal school historians, uh, they say that, okay, that uh, uh, Mughals did great things. What great things they did, we don't know. Because we haven't seen any hospitals from that, that, that time, any universities, any canal systems, any great roads, nothing. They only added to a few graves and a few shrines over those graves. And uh, they concentrated all the wealth with themselves. Right now, <laughs> I think I can uh, tell the viewers, Sandeep Balakrishna is writing a beautiful series on the state of uh, the general public and the state of the elites in Jahangir's time. Uh, it makes fascinating reading. You know that, okay, that uh, the common people were absolutely, they dregs. They were just able to keep just their body and soul together. And the rich and the elite, they were flourishing absolutely in untold opulence. But we are not taught that. Correct history, then understanding of our culture. We don't know even our basics. We try and learn everything from the Western lens, which is binary. We don't even know that our logic system, which is given in the Nyaya Shastras, is multi valued. The minimum value is three. There's always that. Uh, what we call uh, <clears throat> uh, the true, the false, and the in-between. That's, that's the minimum that we have, the, the three-valued system. Uh, otherwise, that famous Chatush Koti system that what we have, where, where we begin from uh, what is called uh, Mithya, then go to Sanshay, then go to Shraddha, and then finally go to Satya or Vishwas. That is also practiced in Buddhism. And of course, there are extremes also, like the Jain Saptabhanga system, where you have seven values. It's too crazy. I don't go that, that, that far. So we don't know that we have a different sense of time. We have a different time concept. We have a different logic concept. Our epistemology is closest to this epistemology of science. But we are not able to proclaim that. We are not able to tell it to the world. Why? Because we don't know that ourselves. That's right. So th these are the things. I mean, first thing is that a lot of things we have to learn about ourselves. And Second is, if you ask me to that we learn, we uh, if we say that uh, there is one dogma that uh, we can internalize, I don't normally advocate dogma, 
we can always have this dogma of what is called self glory that is a very healthy dogma to have and based on that you be absolutely intolerant to intolerance so if you i think just two of these are sufficient to lift you up in the eyes of the other countries right now they know that you are a soft target mm-hmm. and they also know they have studied you better than you studied yourself all the indologists that's entire this flourishing business of indology they know that if you realize yourself what you are if hindus realize themselves what they <laughs> are then the christianity and islam and all the marxism everything they don't stand a chance in the world that is why the individual rights theory uh, as it came about and the divine rights theory both of them would be discredited if both of them are discredited then the world goes in a very proper dharmic direction i think you said it very correctly and i i applaud you for that because we belong to the same school of thought is that the attack on us is because they have studied us better than we know about ourselves and they recognize that with the advent of science and technology many dogmas and restrictions uh, restrictions are falling apart that's what is important they recognize that think about it technology technology has no religion there is no dogma geneva new york and delhi are talking at this same time in exactly at the same moment live to a global audience this is happening globally and that's what is a threat to the existing order if i may say so uh, i as you know that i always call this religious mafia very organized they are very doctrinaire and they impose their will on the unsuspecting or people like us who are more respecting or you know given to the fact okay watch honge it's time for us to reorient ourselves so ruchir coming to you on this subject very very subject matter which are the which are the things that come to your uppermost thing like sanjay ji said two things i call that lakshman rekha draw your own line this far and no further what is happening is that the world is telling us what to do and we keep thinking about doing lok kya kahenge we have virtually landed ourselves into geopolitical minefield in which we do not know where to tiptoe instead of taking a mine sweeper we try to tiptoe and that's a crisis that we are facing of bravery of bravado as well as the strength of character where would you want the fix to begin if you were given the right to start kahan se fix karna hai pehli kya pehli kaun si cheez fix karni hai where would you start with so first of all we have to change our mentality towards statecraft and foreign affairs in order to do that we have to develop a strategic thinking a long term vision for what and where we want the country to be in the next 10 years 20 years 50 years 100 years and once we set that goal it's only once a goal is set that then we can set milestones of what we need to do what you know, break it down into steps what needs to be done uh, to achieve these goals 
that you know a lot of people for the past 20 years you know, i remember a time when president apj abdul kalam said you know his dream was to see india become a developed country by 2020 it's not enough to just say that it's not enough to you know it's very admirable that he went you know around the country school to school university to university to inspire young generation to dream of that but it's not enough to just talk about it there needs to be a clear policy direction that if we are to become a developed country not stuck in the middle income trap not stuck like a latin american country that's a semi colony what do we need to do what do we need to learn from successful countries and how do we assert ourselves uh, and resist the attempts to keep us down because the rest of the world you know especially after the end of the second world war and the end of the cold war have already mapped you know the position relative to each other of which country belongs where and india's position is as a large poor country full of cheap labor and a big open market for finished goods just like during east india company times that is the place that they have decided for us we have to ask ourselves is this acceptable to us as a nation as a state as a civilization is this something that we can be satisfied with and say okay you know we're an independent country whatever that means and this is our place in society you know this is our place in the world it's been decided by people wiser than us and more powerful than us so let's put our heads down and uh, and enjoy the fruits of uh, you know of our patience that uh, this has been given to us or do we have a larger dream that we want to achieve that we wish to pursue if so then we have to take steps in that direction now at the moment there are some uh, green shoots coming out of the barren soil uh, for example uh, as we discussed reciprocity so recently the united kingdom said that uh, indian travelers uh, coming to the uk who have been vaccinated with the indian vaccines would have to would, would be considered unvaccinated despite the vaccine being the same as that used and developed in the US, uh, uk and would be subject to a 10 day quarantine because they were considered uh, unvaccinated within a few days of this declaration india put in reciprocal uh, measures saying that all united kingdom citizens coming to india would also need to face a 10 day quarantine that signaled that we were not willing to roll over on this particular issue and quite soon the uh situation was deescalated by the uk and the 10 day quarantine requirement for indian citizens has been revoked now this at a tactical level is good you know, that's a strong assertion using reciprocity and us acting as a equal power not an inferior power that has to beg for uh, permission or beg for approval now we have to extend this mentality beyond just responsive reactive uh, foreign policy but towards proactive uh, foreign policy setting the agenda for ourselves that we have the unfortunate position geopolitically of having a hostile neighbor to the west and a hostile neighbor to the east uh, and both of these powers have powerful friends uh, and strong connections and one could even say a more savvy realist foreign policy direction than than india has had historically now again is this acceptable to us or do we acknowledge our 
relative weaknesses and seek to address them. So we have to have an honest conversation about whether the approach to foreign policy, whether the tools of foreign policy, and by extension, the uh, tools of domestic policy are suited for the 21st century to be an emerging power, not just a former colony, but a regional power in its own right, or a future developed country, or a future superpower, as people talk about, then we have to act like a superpower. We have to act like a developed country. We have to act like a sovereign state. So Kwame Nkrumah, the first uh, prime minister first and first president of Ghana, he said, the best way to learn to be a sovereign state is to act like a sovereign state. That's a lesson that we never learned. This is someone who spent a lot of time with Nehru. If you read his books, you, know, you can see who he has seen when he talks about other countries that got independence before African countries and why they're not the example to be emulated. The rest of the world, in Latin America, in Africa, and the rest of Asia, they look at India as a wonderful example of what they don't want to be. Even our neighbors. You ask policymakers in Dhaka, in Colombo, in Timfu, in uh, Kathmandu, in, uh, in Islamabad. What do they think of India? They say, oh, India is a great example of what we don't want to be. A country without a common identity, a country without a common ideology, a country without a social contract, and without a vision. That's, that's so very true. Identity is key, who you are and what you want to be. You know, that's, that's so, so important to define. And today, our, our definition of our identity is completely hodgepodge. And, you know, it, we don't know ourselves, you know, who we are, what we want and where we want to go from here. That's a basic thing that I, I want to, you know, I'm very concerned about because our identity is key. Interestingly enough, living abroad, we have also one clear message from Americans here, at least I know, they love us as immigrants to this country. And I won't go to the reasons why. Everything is good. But point of the matter remains that we have not been able to claim our cloud, build our reputation, extract what we deserve because we don't know how to ask. And that's what is that's what is, that's what is a big big challenge for us. We scream and shout when we are hurt, but we do not know how to frame the issue to ask something. And that's our challenge. Look at it this way. And Sanjayji, I would come to you for that. And my my personal opinion is on that: is that unless and until we define ourselves, people will always impose things on us. That's what we have been talking about. We haven't defined things. Freedom of religion, in my humble opinion is a concept which is not relevant for India because we always practiced it. We are Sanatanis. Pray or don't pray doesn't matter. How many times you pray doesn't matter. The karmic philosophy is, is about your karma. What you do will define you. So these are the issues. Why haven't we been able to carry this forward, Sandeji? Why? What ails us? Is it because we are lazy or we are lotus eaters or we are just Freaking idiots, to use the American slang. <laughs> well, it's a bit of a, a bit of everything, <laughs> and uh, I think Richard put it quite beautifully. We're talking about uh, identity, the very basic 
definition of the Indian identity is a civilization identity. We haven't even differentiated between the different concepts of nations. And we simply take that definition of the European nation state, which is purely based on race. It's, it's, a, it's a racist and ethnic concept, the nation state, the European nation state. And it is born out of a great fratricidal war, a 60-year war. The, the Treaty of Westphalia that we got in 1649 came after a great war. And uh, of course, we know the Islamic nation. The Islamic nation, the concept is purely religious. The Indian nationhood concept is civilizational. There is no doubt about that. It is a civilizational concept. But uh, I find that uh, people are making fundamental mistakes uh, in even defining that civilizational concept. And they reduce it to geography. Uh, when we see uh, certain big wigs of the RSS, uh, defining DNA as the marker of nationhood, then you can only hold your head in dismay and depression. A civilizational entity like India is fundamentally opposed to a religious and a racist concept of nationhood. One needs to be absolutely clear about it. You cannot say that ours is an all-embracing civilization. So even if the virus comes in, we'll embrace the virus as well. So, uh, that civilizational identity, which I think Savarkar defined quite beautifully. So it's not just the geography. It's not just the Pitrabhumi. It also has to be your Purnabhumi. Just being Pitrabhumi or the land of your ancestors is not enough. You also have to consider it as your sacred land. If your sacred lands are outside India, then you do not identify with it civilizationally. That fundamental clarity has to be there. It's that clarity about uh, identity, the clarity about ideology, and uh, it's not as if it's not there. It's very much there within the Indian wisdom. I think we just need to make a little bit of effort and either find it ourselves or I would say listen to the lot of talk that is going on these days. I think anybody who wants to really look for these things, you will find it all over the social media, whether it's on YouTube or on these days, even on Clubhouse, of course. I, I, I don't enjoy Clubhouse too much. There's too much of, <laughs> too much of clutter around there. Um, but it's available. It's available. But, uh, something that is not available. When I was growing up, uh, I used to, especially when I was in college in Calcutta, and uh, I was, uh, I should say, I was seeking a lot of things. And then I had to spend a whole day. Sometimes I would travel to the Ramakrishna Mission, go around and sit in their library and try and find out. But uh, the 
whole day would be gone and i think i would be able to just go through one book or not even one book or i had to go sometimes you know i just, just remember uh, i was looking for edwin arnold's light of asia and i couldn't find it anywhere in calcutta so i went to the national library and got it issued and it took me three visits and uh, uh, i don't know how many hours i spent today you can get it to the flip of a switch and uh, you can even get commentaries on that from so many places so many people so it's so much easier today should you have the should you have the desire so i think uh, let's put it this way let's cultivate the desire and let's provide the means to fulfill that desire thank you thank you very much yeah, we are we are nearing uh, nearing 1 hour of our time uh, we have a few questions to the viewers request like share subscribe to jaipur dialogue usa in addition to subscribing to jaipur dialogue don't forget to subscribe to jaipur dialogue usa as well uh, there is a very interesting saying ruchir kehte uh, hai ki you never give up sure footing for a killer blow is a very powerful statement you don't give up your sure footing for a killer blow because if you miss it then you are at a disadvantage your enemy takes full advantage in the game of soccer it's called when the defensive team you are attacking takes the fast break right and he gets the fast break and scores a goal over you where does india belong in the game of you know international ramifications that are going on where do we belong sometimes i feel we are pretty rudderless you know because from occasional sharp stance like the covid thing with britain happened i was very happy to see that but i don't see a very categorical moving forward delineating our stand in the world of geopolitics uh, you know we i continue to feel we are so concerned about who are we friends with china russia japan america you know and and in between we have a stupid thing called na pakistan as i call it we have never been able to deal with anyone in a manner that defines our thinking and look at china for example i gave this example earlier on that china does any china give a crap for anybody who accuses it of human rights violation pakistan is still asking for evidence against 2611 so when our enemies are exploiting our strength what do we need to do next well it's a good analogy you brought up uh, with football that uh, i feel that until recently india didn't even acknowledge that there was a game being played uh, and now you know that uh, more and more people have opened their eyes to the fact that geopolitics is not about moral posturing but is a game of national self interest and its pursuit that uh, it's uh, a cynical and realist uh, uh, game that operates under some you know sort of rules uh, and those rules are you pursue your own interests uh, and uh, expect others to as well and those that don't get crushed or swept to the side it's good that we've now acknowledged this and have started to learn how to play the game but we're still very much minnows in uh, in the uh, in the overall big picture 
the quite similar to our actual uh, Indian football team, which uh, has, to its credit, tried very hard over the past uh, 20, 25 years that I've at least uh, followed it to improve uh, its understanding of you know the tactics and strategy involved, improve the physicality of its players uh, to get uh, the benefit of uh, international exposure to be trained, you know, from models that have worked elsewhere. So that's very promising. Similarly, it's time to embark on that level of reform for our uh, for our state and its uh, foreign policy uh, organs. That at the moment we do not have a very large foreign service counter. The IFS is quite small for a country for an economy of our size, uh, with the size of the diaspora that we have, uh, with the uh, historical links that we have with so many countries, we should be deploying many more diplomats. Uh, we should be employing many more uh, local experts. Our embassies should be hubs of cultivating local assets in every country. The IFS, you know, the Ministry of External Affairs should work hand in hand with our intelligence agencies. There should be a large deployment of our intelligence agents at every embassy, at every consulate, also working to massage people's minds over there, to schmooze with media barons, to uh, cultivate relationships with local ministers, with local administrators. This is how the game is played. Uh, we need to be uh, engaging lobbyist firms, professional lobby firms in Washington, D.C., in London, in Brussels, in uh, Moscow, and in major uh, capitals of major powers in order to build the kind of uh, symbiosis that is needed. But in the West, we have to recognize there's not some idealized, uh, you know, clean, transparent system of governance there, too. The only reason there's no corruption in these countries is that there's no perceived corruption. They've legalized corruption. It's called lobbying. So you're supposed to lobby them. That the expected thing, and our neighbors do this. You know that uh, uh, Islamabad is very good at hiring lobbyists in capital uh, cities, in like Washington D.C. and in London. Very good at uh, cultivating its diaspora to uh, forward and push. Uh, uh, state propaganda narratives and the fact that we don't do this in fact we haven't even tried to do this in an effective way is not showering us with any reward for being oh we're the morally superior power we take the high ground we don't play dirty that's your foolishness that you don't play dirty uh <laughs> it doesn't stop the others from doing so they just see oh you know it's the minnows you can uh, uh, dive in front of them, you can tackle them hard, they don't retaliate, they'll just run to the referee and complain that it was unfair. Yes, yeah, after you lose 8-0 and then complain to the referee you know, that it wasn't fair, yeah, that's very unfortunate, but it doesn't help anyone. <laughs> I'm glad you picked on the football analogy because I always have, you know, Sanjayji knows that I bring about sports and sports is my ultimate teacher, coach. Mentor, I'll have to uh, I'll have to leave in a while because I have another show. No, no, we are coming to a close. So we are I coming to. We are now closing the show, and with one observation that reciprocity is the key for us Hindus. Demand reciprocity. That's important. You want to you want to build your mosque and a church. I have equal right to have 
build a temple as well. If we Aren't don't get the questions, I'm sorry. Yeah, we we are going to the questions now. We are going to the questions now in a minute. So I was saying that we have to begin to ask. The reciprocity is key to the going forward. So let's begin the questions, viewers. Like, subscribe.